It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is episode 98. We are moving closer to episode 100, and Chris and I have a, a very fun and special episode planned to celebrate that. Uh, we'll tell you, uh, before we get to our, our guest this week, um, please like our uh, Twitter, Digital Killed, and our Facebook page, Digital Kill the Radio Star Podcast, and we have a Instagram uh, account, Digital Kill the Radio Star Podcast. So as some of you know, I have a second podcast called The State of Amorca that uh, uh, my buddy Ian Rice does with me. He's a host, and I'm a host of it. And uh, I try not to talk about it too much on this podcast, just because um, uh, I don't know. Just trying to keep those two worlds separate if I can. But uh, Chris is going to sit out this week, and Ian is going to be uh, my guest, and we're going to talk about a Van Halen album that uh, that he's really fond of. And he asked me if we could do this one. So uh, before we get into that, Ian, how's it going? How are you, sir? I am doing well myself. I can't complain. We uh, recorded a State of America last night and recording this one tonight. No, it was Monday night we recorded State of America. So, all right, Ian, I'm going to let you shill for our podcast here for a second. Normally, if I have somebody on from another podcast, I ask them about their podcast and what they're up to. And so, um, why don't you tell everybody what we've been up to and uh, a little bit about our podcast? Well, State of America is, uh, as far as I know, it's still at this point the only uh, Black Crows podcast going. Um, we're up to. We're just about to release episode eighteen. So that's uh, you know we've been having some good times with it, and we've really developed it into something. Got a good following. We have some exciting guests coming up, uh, and it's really uh, it's really turning into something great. And it's uh, it's weird to be sitting on the on the guest end with you now after doing eighteen episodes uh, sharing the uh, hosting. It's it's odd. No pressure, Ian. <laughs> You should be old hat at this. Ian came on, I guess it was probably about this time last year, and we did the uh, Black uh, Crows album, Three Snakes and One Charm. And uh, had we not done that, we there may not be a State of America podcast. That's true. So that was uh, Ian and I kind of got introduced to one another, and uh, we're just having a, a real blast with the State of America. Like he said, as far as we know, we're the only Black Crows podcast, and we started a podcast about a band that was broken up and we thought was never, ever going to play together again. And about a month after we started our podcast, um, 
bands have uh, broken up and it looks like the crows are getting back together and um so i wonder if i wonder if it was us that started that started that momentum rolling we might have planted the seed i uh, but as i said that we've become topical now and it's very strange we got to keep up with all this latest news and everything it's very weird so if you're into the black crows and some of that kind of music uh state of america podcast is the name of it and uh you can find us on Every place you find a podcast, and we do have a Twitter, State of America, and Ian runs our Facebook page. So uh, hop on over there and like that page, if you will, and uh, we really appreciate that. So, Ian, I've known you mainly as being a massive Black Crows fan, such as myself. Mm-hmm. I know you're a massive Rolling Stones fan. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you like Blind Melon and Little Feet, and uh, you're really going to like episode 100, I think, that we're going to yes. drop. Um you like little feet and you know, you're into a lot of the same kind of music I am. And, um, but you've told me early on that really your first drug as for a band that you got into was Van Halen. Oh, absolutely. I was the biggest, uh, Van Halen knucklehead going, uh, if it was something they released or an obscure thing, I, I, I was salivating for it. It's, uh, they were my first, uh, first band I was very passionate about. So, have you seen the picture that's basically broken the internet of Eddie taking a picture of somebody <laughs> yes. at a Tool concert? I thought it was appropriate that it came out the day that we were going to record this. Yeah, the uh, a guy uh, you know approaches somebody in the audience and asks him to take a picture of uh, of him with the the Tool stage behind him and doesn't even realize he's asking Eddie Van Halen to take that photo. <laughs> Mind blowing! Why can't something like that happen to me? I know, right? I well, because we would recognize Eddie Van Halen, so you know. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Could uh, could you take my picture? Oh, you're Mark Ford. <laughs> yeah, but his son was with him and had the foresight to take a picture of him taking this picture. It's the greatest. It's it's funny. What are your thoughts on Wolfie? Speaking of him as a musician, he's obviously very talented. He's uh, he's unbelievable. He's been you know because I ever since he's been in Van Halen, I've followed him. Uh, and he's been putting together some solo project for a couple of years now, and I'm actually interested to see what he does with that because it looks like he does all the instrumentation. And um, as far as on tour, you know, background vocals, you're you're really not going to beat Michael Anthony, but uh, he really does a, a nice job, and his bass playing is faithful to the tracks, but also putting his own spin on it. And from what I understand, he's the one that. Ch- chooses the set list when they go out on tour so he's he's done he's done some nice stuff in the last couple of tours when i think of backing vocalists that are permanent members of bands there's two that come to mind that they would not be successful if they didn't exist one is michael anthony and the other is jerry cantrell of allison chains absolutely just i mean michael anthony's a his voice is the fifth instrument for sure absolutely i mean that's that's part of the Van Halen signature sound is those backing vocals. And, you know, and Eddie's voice is in there too, but the high part is, you know, Mike, Michael Anthony and still, I mean, he's got to be what in his sixties now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still, he still can, can belt it out. You know, the, the stuff he does with the circle with, uh, with Sammy Hagar. Do you have those chicken foot albums? I do. I do. I, um, I enjoyed them. The two, uh, there's three of them actually. I think one of them's live, um, mm-hmm. but the two studio records, I, I enjoyed them. I didn't really go head over heels for them, but I've I've never been a big Satriani guy. So, you are know. you a fan of that song? I think it's on the first one, "My Kind of Girl." Yes, the first album is the one I definitely prefer. All right, so, so 
to get a, a gauge of how good of a singer he is, they I think they come out of the chorus, and instead of him singing backing vocals with Sammy on the where he's saying my kind of girl, it's just him. It's the first time I can ever remember just hearing his voice isolated like that, and it's just man, it's like butter. Yeah, he's he's perfect uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, his his bass playing was often very underrated. It was a little more. Um, flashy uh i guess for lack of a better term during the david lee roth period he kind of went a little more basic uh during the sammy hagar years for whatever reason but uh, i mean the guy's a fantastic bass player and doesn't get the credit he deserves really so how did you get into van halen my um my older cousin who really uh functioned and continues to function as really my brother because they're both uh only children but uh he was into van halen and, and this is about 1991 and he played me uh, a couple of tracks uh, some sammy tracks some eddie tracks and i just uh, i was uh, it was unbelievable i was just i gotta get more of this i gotta get more of this and uh i think i was about 10 years old at the time and uh i ran out and i any penny i had i bought uh tapes you know the cassette tapes of uh, every album and so up to that point um the most current record was um uh, OU812. That was because this was about yeah ninety one. So, but it was before the record we're going to talk about today came out. So, so you do kind of like you and I do with the Crows. You buy everything that comes out and everything that's like a a side project. Yeah, I I, I really do. I mean, I even uh, later on, um, you know, and this often gets me uh, crucified in a lot of circles. But uh, I even enjoyed Van Halen three with uh, Mr. Gary Sharon there, and uh, so you know, I I bought a lot of his solo stuff and side projects too i'm not scared to admit the song without you i absolutely love i have it on a gym um playlist that i I'll listen to when i go work out it's a, it's a great record the problem with that record is it's not a van halen record it's an eddie van halen record and uh maybe if they had titled it as such it would have uh performed a little better and if they had toured first before they put out the record that might because that tour you know, say what you will about Gary, he went out there and he dusted off some of these old Roth tunes that hadn't been played in you know ten, twelve years or whatever. Exactly. And that was a hell of a tour. I mean, they opened with Unchained. I mean, you know, as a as the guy who had never had gotten into the band after Roth had left, to to go out and and see that on tour and hear Unchained for the first time, it's uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, I still remember it. You know, yeah, they played they played. Years ago. All kind of rare stuff that hadn't been played forever, and you know, Sammy was would hardly you know he would do Jump in Panama, and then he would do like You Really Got Me, which technically is a cover, um, but you wouldn't really see a whole lot of Dave stuff other than that. And it's interesting when they go on tour with David Lee Roth. Has there ever been a band that goes on tour and leaves half their hits in the vault and they can't touch them? It really is an odd thing. I mean, it's basically like two two separate bands, really. I mean, you know. Dave is Dave, and I'm I'm a tremendous David Lee Roth fan. I think the guy is a great entertainer, and, and uh, you know he's an interesting individual. But he couldn't touch those Sammy songs. He's not that type of singer, you know. And uh, you know Sammy did all right with the Dave stuff, but he didn't have his personality either, you know. So right, all right. So what I'm thinking, Ian, is since this is a Hagar album, let's stick to the Hagar era, and then we'll have mm-hmm. you on in the future, and we'll do a Roth era album. Oh, absolutely. Um. I saw Van Halen for the first time in on the Balance tour. I was a freshman in college, you know. And at that point, money's kind of tight, 
and me and a bunch of my buddies got tickets uh, to see them in Tupelo, uh, which is you know where Elvis is from. And um, the night before, we get word that the concert's canceled, and they're going to make it up like three months later. And I guess it's whatever happened with Alex when he showed up wearing the neck brace. Yeah. And uh, so it got canceled, and I went to that, and then I went and saw them a month later in Memphis with, um, do you remember the band Brother Kane by chance? Absolutely. I love them. Yeah. So Brother Kane opened for them and man, they were, they were just absolutely amazing. So Van Halen first came on my radar. I was like seven years old when 1984 came out. So all of their games, all the Chicago Cubs games from WGN and they always played this song before their pregame and their postgame interview. And it turned out to be jump. And so I was really into baseball and I was into, you know, I was really young, but I was collecting cassettes and stuff like that. And I asked my mom to buy me 1984 for Christmas. And so she goes to buy it for me. And the, the salesman says, how old's your son? She's like, oh, he's like eight years old. She's like, oh, this isn't an album for an eight year old. So she didn't, didn't buy it for me. But uh, anyway, so I remember that when the David, because I think David Lee Roth put his album out before 5150. And yes, so I, think you're right. I, I remember, you know, the eat them and smile stuff. And then uh, I guess when I was like a sophomore in high school. I just really got into them. And I got into that um, live album right here, right now. And mm-hmm. just love the playing on it. So anyway, I, I've I've been a bit, big Van Halen fan. I've seen them with Roth twice and with um, Hagar twice. So I, I've seen both incarnations. But th- tell everybody the album that you've picked this week. I mean, that we're going to talk about. Well, the album I picked is... Uh is uh, for unlawful carnal knowledge which came out um in the later part of 1991 and um it was you know deemed van halen's you know return to their rock roots and it, it really came out just as i was like diving into the band so it was the first new release after i had gotten into them and wow it's a fantastic record i think um well it it debuted at number one stayed there mm-hmm. for three weeks Every album with Sammy Hagar at one point or another went to number one. Um, and they originally wanted to uh, make an acronym of For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge and let that be the, the title. And Sammy Hagar said he was doing that because of all the censorship stuff that was going on. But, um, yeah. it uh, and, and one odd thing I read about it before we start talking about it, they were still working on that album up until two months before it was released. Which yeah. seems odd because in my head i have eddie van halen as being this kind of like mad scientist and he's not gonna let it be released or singles even be released until the album's completely ready yeah it was an odd thing to that's very close to the release time but i mean they spent the the better part of a year working on that record and um it, it was it's it was a weird thing for them i think because it was you know they kind of brought the guitars up in the mix, kind of ditched the synthesizers a bit, which had gone out of favor at that time. You know, this is a time when, you know, Nirvana's hitting it big. And, you know, you still had Guns N' Roses around, and, and they were huge. But uh, their kind of brand of rock was was becoming unfavorable. And I know when the, um, when the record came out, it didn't get as good a reviews from the critics as uh, as it maybe should have. And I never quite understood that because, you know, looking at it, 28 years later of all the albums in the Sammy Hagar era, this is the one I think that holds up the best. As much as I love 5150 and OU812, 
they kind of sound a little bit dated because they they rely so heavily on synthesizers and that was a a sound that had a time and a place you know and on some of those albums alex was using electric drums wasn't he yes he started doing that on 5150 if i'm not mistaken yeah all of those those two albums to me just seem like they're just mixed weird i I don't know how to describe it but i can hear it and before the notes ever play i mean before anybody ever sings i'm like that's one of those two van halen albums yeah, OU812 essentially lacks bass frequencies at all on it, and now even 5150 to an extent. But, you know, for for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, they got um, uh, Andy Johns, you know, son of uh, Glenn Johns, who did a lot of the Zeppelin stuff uh, as producer. So, you know, they he he knew what he was he was doing behind that board, you know what I mean? Yeah, he did. So and didn't they somewhat get back with Ted Templeman at some point on this album? It's my understanding from uh, from what I've read, and, and and you know, primarily Sammy does most of the talking these days about that period. So um, I saw something with him where um, I think he had some some difficulties with Andy Jones. Uh, you know, I think the guy had a little bit of a uh, an alcohol uh, fixation, and I don't think Sammy gelled too well with him. So he kind of got Ted Templeman back just to cut his vocals and stuff like that. Friend of the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast, Greg Renoff, he's actually writing a biography of Ted Templeman right now. That guy has a storied career, let me tell you. That's uh, that's what I hear. All right, Ian. So, like we talked about, this album came out, it stayed, it hit number one, stayed there for three weeks. And so, uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to do like we do on our other podcast when we talk about album. We're just going to break down the song, and so. We'll kind of turn the the opening track, and it was also the first single off the album is Pound Cake. Pound Cake um, really sets the tone of the record, in my opinion. It opens with the uh, with Eddie playing guitar with a drill, which is you know uh, you know rumor has it uh, you know it was laying around and he grabbed it, and because the pickups essentially act like a microphone, it's picking up that noise against the guitar, and it's just such a killer. Uh, Killer opening really sets the album off nice. The funny thing is, I've heard Eddie say, you know, he didn't consider at the time doing that that he would have to, uh, you know, paint the stripes on one and take it out on tour and how you know the logistics of that. But it, you know, but didn't he? Didn't in, in there rumors that Paul Gilbert was the first one to put a drill to a guitar? Is that right? I've never heard that. I, I think I think I've heard that. It's been a while since I've kind of immersed myself in this world, but it seems like I remember that well. I like the song. I thought it was a great single. I love the the drill at the beginning. I mean, these are these are uh, tongue in cheek Van Halen lyrics. You know, this isn't Bob Dylan writing. You know, blowing in the wind or anything like that. But uh, um, let's see. I'm looking at my notes here, um, and I just have that the lyrics have kind of like a classic Van Halen feel to them. Like if if you found out David Lee Roth wrote this song and performed it, it wouldn't shock you. No, I mean, it's a, you know, good time, you know, in, in, sexual innuendos abound, which uh, for an album called for an awful kind of knowledge, it certainly does have its fair share of innuendos, which is, you know, that's what you come to expect from Sammy, you know, that's the kind of guy he is, you know. So you really like this song? I like it. I, I, I think it, it kicks off the album great, and um, the solo on it is uh, is unbelievable. I remember them playing it on... Um, the MTV Video Music Awards back when they had music on MTV and, uh, you know, I, being really excited about that. It was cool. And I think part of it's recorded with a 12-string guitar. Yeah, I had read that, which I never knew uh, over the years until recently I was reading some stuff. Actually, I think I read that on Wikipedia. And um, 
yeah, that was like the the basis for it. Like it wasn't really gelling in the studio until until they tried it on a, on a twelve string. So, but he doesn't play a twelve string live. So true. All right. So one of my problems I have with this album is, is like I either like songs on this album or I don't like them. There is no middle ground on it. One of the things though that that's kind of frustrating about this is. They don't know what kind of band they want to be. You have Pound Cake, which is a sophomore, you know, junior high school lyrical content. And it's like every other song, they try to be like super serious. And when they're super serious, to me, a lot of times it seems forced. Now, I will admit that I'm a um, um, big fan of Humans Being, the uh, song that was on Twister soundtrack, which is serious. I'm a big fan of Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do which is more serious. I like the song Seventh Seal. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, on this album, the serious music seems very forced to me. What say you, Ian? I I would agree. Just as a quick side note, Humans Being is my favorite Van Halen track of all time. But um, the the serious tone, if you follow Sammy, Sammy kind of does that even in his solo work. Like he'll have a serious thing and then, you know, he's just kind of flips back and forth. Um, I actually thought in this case of this album, uh, some of the more uh, serious leaning tunes were the better ones, really. I, I, you know, um, some of the ones that go a little bit more, uh, you know, with the sexual innuendo kind of get sound a little silly in retrospect to me, lyrically. Uh, musically, everything on this album to me is, is fantastic. And I, I've been an odd Van Halen fan where I always listen I like I I didn't learn lyrics till way later because I'm always listening to Eddie what he's doing you know. Well, the next song is a serious one. It's Judgment Day. What are your thoughts on it? This is probably the heaviest Van Halen track I, I know of. Uh, honestly, the uh, the guitar in this and uh, the the two hand tapping that he does uh, just before the uh, or just after the chorus rather. I always love that. And if you watch the the live right here right now video, you see him doing it and he's just smiling away, you know, doing this two-hand stuff like it's nothing, you know. <laughs> on its own, I think it's a decent track, but I just can't get out of my head it's after pound cake and before spanked. Yeah, you know, it kind of has an odd position on the album. So just it kind of it kind of messes with me now. Like you said, it is on uh, right here, right now. And they played the vast majority of this album on that um, live record. They did. Um, and we'll, I'll mention it later, but the, the track I liked the most off this album was the only one from the album not on that live record, which is annoying. So, All right, so the next song is Spanked. You can imagine what it's about. It, it probably should come right after Pound Cake. Um, I have here, now we're back to another juvenile song. It's like, it has a lot of layers to the song sonically has a lot of layers to it, but the lyrics are so juvenile. And I was like, you got to remember this is also kind of on the eve of grunge and it just sounds very dated. Uh, Yeah. Even at the time it was a little, but it's the lyrics that kind of put it into that, that category for me. Musically, it's such a, it's a very, very cool riff and it's very different than a lot of things that Ed had ever done. Um, but yeah, lyrically, it doesn't hold up as much for me, sad to say. Very mid-tempo. Yeah, mid-tempo. I mean, just, you know, it's it's almost, uh, sometimes Sammy's lyrics in retrospect can be almost embarrassing. You know, like, uh, you're embarrassed as you're listening to him, like, ooh, that's a bit uh, cheesy, you know, but... Uh, Maybe you should have had an editor. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> But, uh, you know, he does sing everything with conviction, so you can give him that. 
All right, the next song is Run Around. This is a classic Sammy Hagar sounding song. Uh, th- I love Eddie's guitar playing and the kind of the, the riffs he has going on in this one. And this is my second favorite song on the album. And this is probably a top five Van Halen song for me. Oh, absolutely. This is this is one of my top on this album and top of all time. Uh, Alex is a monster on this uh, this one, the drums. Alex does this thing, and I, I, everybody uh, always makes fun of me when I zero in on it, but uh, he has a way of – he rides the, the bell part of a cymbal during a lot of parts of the songs, and he's like a master of it. And it's, it attracts me to his drumming so much. I mean, I know it's such a bizarre thing, but uh, he's just a uh, – He's uh, throughout the album. He's uh, powerhouse, but this one in particular. And um, I don't know if you remember the video for this one, but the you know, the part where they sing—it's just like a performance video, really. But when they sing the chorus, you know, uh, round and round, they're actually the stage they're on is spinning around. So, yeah. Oh, that's—I don't remember seeing it. Yeah, it sticks out in my mind whenever I hear the song. You know. And so this was a single, correct? Yeah, I think it was the second or third single of this one. All right, so Run Around is a great song. Like I said, probably a top five Van Halen song for me. Um, I know some of my uh, hard rock podcast friends are laughing at me, and especially uh, my friend uh, Ian Wadley from the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. He's going to give me a hard time about this, but he's a massive Black Crows fan, so that's okay. I can put up with it. Yes. All right, the next song is Pleasure Dome. And I, my notes here, another dud, and it is seven minutes. Really, you're not a you're not a fan of this one. I always uh, I like this one um, musically. The spoken word kind of verses are a little are a little odd, but uh, the, the guitar stuff on this is great. And and when they did it live, uh, lyrics there were no lyrics. They did it an instrumental, and it went into um, <coughs> another track. I can't remember offhand what track they 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 spun it into, but uh, I I always like this one. I don't know. But I can I could see why you wouldn't, you know. It's a long song, and there's there's another one on here that I think is is clocks in around six minutes, which was unheard of for them at the time. And then on balance, I think uh, "Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do" is kind of a long song. And then mm. there were several long songs on Van Halen Three. Oh yeah, that so was, I just yeah. um, I, I think that you know I think they're better suited in the four to five minute range, probably closer to four minute, but. Anyway, I mean, they obviously know more what they're doing than I do. All right, so the next song is In and Out, and I have mm-hmm. on here probably the best non-hit song on the album. I have it. My interpretation of it, it's a uh, song about conforming to social norms. I mean, but I have on here, they just seem outside of their comfort area when they have these serious lyrics for the most part, but I actually enjoy the song. Yeah, I like this song. I, I, I got the social norms theme to it, too. It always seemed like, too, like uh, they was he was singing about, like, you know, uh, you know, everybody wanting to take a piece of your action. You know, like you're, uh, they got you coming in, they got you going out. You know, um, but but in typical Sammy style, you read the title of the song and you don't really pay close attention to the lyrics. It sounds dirty. You know, what right? I mean? so, <laughs> it but, sounds uh, like it, it should be with spanked in a pound cake. Yeah, I mean, it is a it is a great uh, track. Um, I, I like it more now than i did at the time it used to be when i i kind of skipped past um what are your thoughts on how the album was mixed i, I think it's probably the best mixed album of the hagar era it certainly is uh in terms of the guitars bass drums vocals everything has like it's even keel in the mix um and just going back and listen when we were, when i was getting ready to do this um 
it just it sounds so good. It's sonically like it's not compressed. It does it does no distortion. It's the dynamically good. It hovers at around the right you know decibel level. Really mixed nicely and mastered nicely as well. All right, the next song is "Man on a Mission." I'm not a fan of it, so I don't have much to say about it. Um, I I always like. See, a lot of these songs, too, were tied to memories of the time. And at the time, my cousin was trying to learn how to play bass. And he was big on this because the, the intro is, a double, you know, Michael and, and Eddie kind of doing the same line together. I, you know, again, it's one of those ones that, you know, musically is good for me. The lyrics kind of fall flat for me, too. All right. Now we're getting to what I think is the best part of the album. The Dream is Over. Now, this is a serious song I can get behind. I love everything about it. And if I'm thinking clearly, this is a song that wasn't on right here, right now, correct? That's the one, and it's my favorite song of this album, uh, or has come to be my favorite song of this album. It's actually it's on the video release of Live Right Here Right Now, but not on the album. Um, I love it. I think it's it's got great lyrics. It's it's very heavy hitting. It very it speaks to the youth. It's almost like a youth anthem or something like that, you know. Um, and uh, I just think it's fantastic. I think the guitar work is fantastic on this one. Yeah, so let's play it for everybody right now. This is The Dream Is Over.
All right, yeah, I can't. I have no complaints about this song. It's probably my third favorite song on the album, and it's the first serious one that works for me. Interesting chorus. It's got kind of that uh, big anthemic chorus that you would have had in the late '80s, early '90s. They're kind of on the tail end of all that now, but this one probably should have been a bigger hit than it actually was. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this one was even uh, released as a single. I think it should have been. Um, it's definitely one of the strongest songs on the album. Um, and, it, you know, it is a serious tone for it. I just, I, I don't think it got even the live play that it should have. I mean, if they played it on that tour, but it was sporadic. It didn't get as much as, you know, the runarounds and the uh, and the uh, pound cakes and that kind of thing. All right. The next song, I think, is the most original sounding song Van Halen has ever written. It's called Right Now. Well, I'll let you give your thoughts on it first. Right Now... Uh, is a great song it's great live um studio wise it's uh it's the first time you really get a taste of eddie's piano playing um it's a catchy riff there's that build up in the beginning that gets to the to the you know this it's like a dynamic build which i think is is really cool and in my opinion um you know the eddie has two guitar solos that surpass any other thing he's done and the one of them is the one on right now. It's, it's easily uh, one of his top two solos. Uh, the other one being Hot for Teacher, but um, it's a fantastic guitar solo on this. It's unbelievable. You took the words out of my mouth. It's one of the. I, I just when it gets near that guitar solo, I get excited. It's just it's it's great. It fits the song. I've read that Sammy was writing lyrics and he overheard Eddie in the other room just tinkering on the piano. Have you have you read that? Yeah, I've actually heard Sammy talk about that, and it's kind of like a – I think it's a, a, a set of lyrics that Sammy uh, had a little bit – you know, he'd been kicking around for a little while, and he couldn't find something musically for it to go with. And then, like you said, you know, he just – they kind of overheard one another and married the two things together, and they come up with this massive hit. I mean, if you remember this song, it was all over the radio. It, it blended over into Top 40. And uh, the video uh, got a it's lot of attention. It's probably, in my opinion, it's a top ten MTV video of all time. It is. I mean, you know, um, you know, a lot of things kind of copied it afterwards, went for that approach. But it really is, you know, uh, you know the video being for those who either never saw it or don't remember, uh, you know, it would, it would, it would just pop up a lot of different uh, words on the screen, you know, like uh, right now your parents miss you and stuff like that, and just different images. But it was all you know, um, graphics uh, uh, of lyrics on the screen, or not lyrics, but uh, phrases, you know, involving right now. My favorite phrase was during the solo, it says, right now Ed's got his hands full. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. And, uh, you know, right now uh, Van Halen's planning a world tour, and it's them standing over a map, like p- pinpointing all different locations, you know. Well, apparently Sammy hated that video when they were filming it, and it wasn't until it was put together that he realized how good it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he has the temerity at least to admit he was wrong. But I mean, that was that video won video of the year on uh, the '92 MTV uh, Video Music Awards. You know, it was uh, it was fantastic, and it was presented to them by Mick Jagger. So, you know, Sammy, H- I remember Sammy Hagar like gushing over Mick Jagger. <laughs> I would be too. All right, so Eddie is known for his biggest, probably influence on the rock world is Eruption, uh, an instrumental that it's almost the I think it's like a minute and fifteen or twenty minute and twenty seconds long, and you could make an argument that may be the most important minute and twenty seconds in the history of rock music. 
because it inspired everybody that came after it. But mm-hmm. Eddie really shows his brilliance on the instrumental 316, which is after March the 16th, which is when Wolfgang was born. This is just no frills, but it's beautiful. It's very moving. It's even more moving once you find out it's about Eddie. And, you know, a, a lot, you know, Eddie, it appears over time, has had a lot of different faults and a lot of different demons. But one of the things that's always consistent, he loves that kid more than anything. And, and to know how much Wolfie means to him and, and wrote this song, and it's very simple, but it's, it gets the job done. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, you know, it's clear that he has, uh, you know, an adoration for his son that's, uh, you know, goes beyond, you know, even normal proud father stuff, you know, and that's that's a great thing to see. I mean, uh, but yeah, this, I mean, the musically pieces of this kind of go back to um, the 5150 tour. He would he played a bit of it in the, uh, and you could see that on the Live Without a Net video, um, you know, a bit of it in his solo spot then. But I don't think it came fully together till he. I, I, from my understanding, he used to play it to his son, like in the womb, you know, uh, uh, that. And then once he was born, I think that's where the 316 title came from. Have you seen the video of he's playing it and then Wolfie walks out on stage playing it when he's like seven or eight years old? Yeah, I think that was on the 2004 tour, right? Yeah, if, uh, I, I think I've seen that once or twice. It's that's and that's kind of like it coming full circle to me. That's really cool. Did you see that tour? I did not. I, um, for whatever reason, at that at that period, I I had kind of had a falling out with Van Halen. I think I was a little frustrated because they hadn't done anything since '98, and I had kind of moved on to uh, other musical territory. And uh, I didn't go to that tour. Um, I wish I had for a number of reasons. One, I've seen you know every other tour since I've been into the band, and um, from my understanding, Eddie was. Uh, bit of a wreck on that tour you know according to hagar's book they didn't know what they didn't know what they were going to get but he always said whenever he came out with his hair in a bun like a samurai it was on it was about to get weird it was very disappointing because you know after reading sammy's uh book and that that section of it particularly um i would go back on youtube and try to find it and there were nights where ed was on and there are nights when ed was off and as a van halen fan I, i that was the first time i ever saw him off and that when he was off, he was way off. And it was it was almost like, you know, watching your hero fall. It was a sad thing for me because I know I, he was in a very dark period then. I would have loved to have seen some of the shows regardless of how you played because they weren't promoting an album. It's probably the best set list they've ever done on any tour. I mean, they were playing Humans Being, you know, mm-hmm. uh, s- s- stuff off balance and just really mixing it up and hitting some deeper tracks. But, yeah, have you did you read Hagar's book? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I knocked it out in like five or six days. It was uh, it was basically a hit piece on Eddie. Yeah, he kind of uh, aired some dirty laundry there, which I think ultimately put the nail in the coffin of them really uh, putting anything back together at any point. All right, the final song on the album is "Top of the World." This is my favorite Sammy Hagar song. It's one of my favorite Van Halen songs. I know the riff had been laying around a little bit since 1984. Hence, that's why apparently they like to play jump and then close with Top of the World because the I think they kind of blended together a little bit. But this is a just anthemic, make-you-feel-good song that um, you can listen to and just, I don't know, it makes me feel good. It makes me kind of want to um, not fight somebody, but it just gives me a lot of energy, and it's a perfect way to polish off this album. 
Yeah, definitely a great closer. Something, um, you know, a little bit more of a poppy aspect to certain parts of it. I'm surprised it didn't get a little more crossover appeal um, because it was uh, had those pop leanings to it. It's such a great song. I, 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 I easily, uh, you know, right behind Dream Is Over, my favorite on this album, and uh, as as you said, uh, one of my favorite of the era. Um, I, and I, I hate to keep you know, referencing uh, music videos, but uh, you know it's a time where I paid a lot of attention to MTV. So I always liked this one. You didn't see it as much, but uh, you know it's uh, different uh, scenarios in the video. But one of them is they're kind of like on the moon, I think, or something like that. And Eddie's wearing a uh, an astronaut's uh, outfit, and he's got the helmet on, and he's smoking a cigarette inside this helmet. <laughs> I always thought that was great, man. Eddie's always smoking. I know him. Well, not so much anymore. I think he's. Uh, I think he's gone to the vape. I always. I see current photos of him holding a, a, va- a you know, a vape thing. Right. Well, I hope he. Uh, hope he gets well. All the reports are that he's got uh, his throat slash tongue cancer has returned. Yeah, um, and that's you know sad to hear. You know that being said, I mean obviously he's a very private guy, and um, the mo- the two recent photos that came out of him. Uh, one was uh, just before the one with the guy at the Tool concert. There was one uh, at a car dealership he was at, and the girl apparently was a big Van Halen fan, and he took a photo. Um, he's looking much better than other photos I've seen in the past. He doesn't. He looks like he's coming out of not being well. So hopefully, things have gone okay for him. Do you think Sammy and, and them ever play another show together? I'd I'd like to see it. I mean. It seems a shame that all those great songs and all those big hits have just been, you know, left in the closet to rot, you know. And uh, I think the best idea, really, and I don't know why they've never run with this. Sammy's brought it up before, is to do, uh, you know, like a, a, a double kind of tour where, like, um, two sets, one's Dave, one's Sam, you know, and they kind of run through the whole career. It'd be a nice way to finish off. You know, close close the book on Van Halen because you know they're they're guys are older now and they're starting to wind things down a bit. You know, Roth would never do it because Hagar would blow him out of the water vocally. Vocally, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, people always say that, and I, I agree. Roth's voice is not strong at all anymore, but he was always so much more than his voice. I, yeah, but I don't. I, I saw him twice on. In tooth when I get married, two thousand and twelve, on that tour, and he looked and acted absolutely ridiculous. At times, I was just embarrassed for him. Uh, he, I mean, he just looked like he was just a petulant child up there. He does kind of like to to draw, you know, the attention to himself, you know, which is what differentiates him from Sammy. Sammy was more of a uh, a down to earth, like you know. Uh, one of your buddies that happens to uh, be an amazing singer as well, you know. Well, and Sammy could add to the live sound because he Sammy is a well above average guitar player. Yeah, I mean he would often um, add rhythm guitar to stuff, and also he always had a solo spot um, in in most of those tours where he'd come out and he'd play Eagles Fly or something like that. They always did uh, One Way to Rock, you know. They would come out with that, which is a Sam was a Sammy uh, a minor Sammy hit. Um, so as we wrap this album up, were you a fan of the next album, Balance? I was. I um, um, 
Balance was the first tour I saw them on, much like yourself. Um, I saw them at Jones Beach here in uh, in, in New York. Um, and that was the most thrilling thing ever because it's the first time I saw them live. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was like, you could have... You could have taken me away, and I would have been. You know. Did they op- did they open with Seventh Seal and that long drone beforehand? Of course they did, and I was so excited. Uh, you know, I, I was I was on my feet the entire night, man. I, I, the excitement I can't even describe. I still remember it like clearly. As each year go- that was ninety five. As each year goes by, I remember the date, and I think to myself, "Oh, this is the first day I saw Van Halen, <laughs> August twenty third, ninety five. Well, Ian, this has been fun. Absolutely, man. As usual, it's nice to. Uh, Move on to some other subject matter. I, I kind of came to you and I said, uh, I don't know what what you're doing, but I, I want to talk about Van Halen. So if you got a spot for me, you know. So <laughs> anytime. Well, and let, next time we'll do a uh, a Roth album, and um, that'll be good too because uh, you know very few people are as polarizing as Sammy Hagar. Yes. So some people may want to listen to this one and some not. Um, once again, thank you to Ian and uh, our other podcast, State of America. You can find on all the podcast platforms. And we have a Facebook page. And we have a Twitter at State of America and an Instagram page, State of America Podcast. If you're interested in those guys, go uh, give us a listen. We have some really big things and cool things coming on the horizon that uh, you're going to uh, enjoy, including uh, an interview with one Mr. Steve Gorman, the drummer for the Black Crows. That He's agreed to that, so we just have to set that up. But uh once again, thanks to Ian. Chris will be back with us next week. We're going to talk about some of our favorite old school country songs as we inch closer to episode 100. To play us out today, the final song off of For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, here's Top of the World. <laughs> <laughs>